We're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you'll make your way, 2 Timothy chapter 1, very well read a moment ago. And um, I'll just help you help to, to remember that. We've been taught most of our lives we should read the Bible. And that's true. We should read uh, the Word of God to know the will of God. And yet I'm going to say that's not enough. And then we'll strengthen it a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll reinforce it a little bit more and say you need to memorize. Put it in your heart, like memorize it. And we'll encourage lads to leaders, and I hope the lads to leaders kids are really getting into this. Or even if you're not lads to leaders, any of our young people, memorizing those hundred verses they have for you. That's a great thing. Putting it in your heart, that's good. But even then, that's not enough. And, and we might even strengthen a little more. You need to dig a little bit. You need to investigate a little bit. We call that studying the Bible. And that's good too. But that's still not enough. In this text that we're talking about and it's, uh, that, that Paul has given to Timothy, that he really wants Timothy to grapple with, there's a word that fits here. We need to maul it a little bit. Now, maul it, I don't mean this. That's Connor in the middle. That's a mullet for those of you. I asked several of you for pictures of mullets, and people said, what is a mullet? And I said, you've got to be kidding me. And I said, did Kelly Phipps ever have a mullet? And Sheila said, no, he never had one. I asked, did Trey, did Trey ever have one? I asked Charlotte. She said, no, he never had I find that hard to believe. Matt, did you ever, Matt Mitchell, did you ever have a mullet? You didn't have a mullet. Harold Ferguson, did you have a mullet? Yes. Oh. But they didn't have photography back then, so I have no proof. Uh, mullet. I, I don't mean this kind. I mean this kind right here. You know, the thinker. You ever say this? Anybody use the word maul? Anybody? A lot of people don't. Younger people maybe don't, but maul it over. It's like this, I'm going to maul that over before I make this decision. I'm going to let it mess around and gel in my head and grapple with it, right? It requires some time and some effort and some energy. Here's the diagram for us. What Scripture says is absolutely clear. You've got it in front. You've got it in your Bibles. You've got it. You can read it clearly. There's no, you don't have to access it. You don't have to fight to get it or to get access to it. It's what the Scripture says. But between what the Scripture says and you getting what God means is this gap, this disconnect sometimes. And what goes in there is the need to mull, to just grapple with that text and that's what we're going to be talking about uh, because that's what Paul is talking about here I'll give you an example of this uh, the failure of this and the success of this Romans chapter 1 verse 20 you've heard this all your life we talk about this with apologetics and the reason you believe there's a God is look at this creation and that's a valid argument scripture makes for his invisible attributes God's invisible characteristics namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived, there's our word that means mole, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. People are without excuse. Paul says there's no excuse for missing God just by looking at creation. But you live in our world right now, and there's plenty of people who don't think that's clearly perceived. Here's how it should work. You look at creation, the order the seasons, the beauty of this world, how it functions, and even of the human body you can put in there. You put that in there, and then over here is belief in God. How do you get from creation, what you see, to belief in God? Well, it's this mauling, this 
you clearly perceive it. You look at it and you think about it. This cannot be an accident. That's what Paul says. So strongly he says they're without excuse. Now, let me give you another example. This time when the disciples didn't get it at all. Matthew chapter 16, verses 5 through 12. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to help me with this a little bit. Jesus says something, but he means something else. And Scripture's like this. It means, it says something literally, but it could mean different things. And here's what he says. I want you to remember this. After they'd messed with the Pharisees and Sadducees, they get in a boat and they go to the other side. And Jesus is in the boat with them, and he says to the disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Beware of. That's what he says. The disciples go, What? What's he saying? Well, what he says is, beware of the leaven. Yeah, but what does he mean? And they grapple with it. And they decide, as they're floating across the other side, they decide it's because we didn't bring bread for uh, this trip, and he's mad at us because he's hungry and there's no bread. Uh, wrong answer. That's terrible. Jesus hears that discussion and goes, guys, are you kidding me? I fed 5,000 people, and how many baskets did I take up? Anybody remember? 12 baskets. And guys, I took a, I fed 4,000, and how many basketfuls did I take up? Seven. 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 Guys, he says, if we need bread, I can take care of bread. I'm not talking about bread. He's saying, you're missing it. You mold it wrong. Go back and mold some more. And they go back, and they kind of get together in the boat, and they say, what do we want? Well, what he means is, beware of the influence and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and yeah, they miss mold. We can miss mold sometimes, right? This molding is very important. It's, it, it, it's either a connect or a disconnect between what Jesus says and what he means. So those of you teaching Bible class, the old, goofy way we used to describe this, and listen, there are, don't do it this way. The best teachers are the ones who've molded already. But don't go into class and say, read these seven verses. What do you think it means? And what's the old-timer say? It means what it says it means. Uh, no, it doesn't. That's the whole point. It doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. And you're like, what? how do you get what it means from what it says? You mull. You mull it. That's hard, isn't it? Here's how Jesus describes using parables. Here's why I speak to them in parables. Listen, this is crazy. Because seeing... They don't see. Now, isn't that weird? Everybody says, I take the Bible literally. No, you don't. You hear what he says? They see, but they don't see. You see how this is, yeah, and I just, you'd see. It, they see, but they don't see. There's a gap between what they see and drawing the conclusions they're supposed to draw. And into that, in that little gap in between, you're supposed to put mulling. That's what you do. You sit there and contemplate, what is he really saying? And those who want to know about parables, if they will mull it long enough and, and ask for God's guidance, they will get it. So what determines whether you actually see what you see or not? It's whether you mull it or not. Now here's how he says it in our text. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7. Think over what I say. So I've got what I say, Paul says. I'm writing this to you. And then if you'll think it over, God will give you insight. 
Now here's my question. If you don't give it time to think it over, will God give you the insight? If you just read it, I've done my daily reading, turn the book, close the book, I've done my reading, and you go on with your day. Listen, all you've done is read some words. That's all you have done. It doesn't, it, it, you got to think over what I say, and the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And that's why the next screen, is, it's this diagram we use again. It's a two-part deal. Your job is to give some time and effort to think it over. To think it over, to mull it. You are to mull over that word. That's your job. And then if you do that, God graces you with this second job. God will give you understanding in this. But you've got to do it. You've got to do your part before God does his. That's the mulling over part. And by the way, when he says this, he's not just going back saying, read those other seven verses I just gave. Read those six verses above this eight more times and you'll get it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying memorize it. He's not saying, you know, ask your preacher about it. He's saying mull it over. Think about it. And that's how the understanding will come. And that's when he starts doing this with Timothy. This is weird. Remember chapter 1? Timothy was, is doing a job. He's got a job that God assigned him to do. I want you to, to, to live this way, and I want you to preach this way, and I want you to defend the truth. But know that you're going to have to suffer for it. But in chapter 2, he says the same thing, only he says it indirectly by using three images, and we're going to use them right now. And you've got to practice your mulling, so we are together going to be practicing some mulling. All right, so get it in your head. It's not just going to be conclusions aren't just going to be fed to you. You are going to be expected to mull right here in this assembly. Image number one, the soldier. The soldier. He wants, according to Paul, to please his commanding officer. He wants to sustain the favor of the one who's commissioning him. That's his thing. And, secondly, he does his work as a soldier, defending, sacrificing, by refusing to get entangled in civilian affairs. I'm not going to distract myself with things that have nothing to do with pleasing my commanding officer. My only thing is this. So there's the soldier, and he says, Timothy, think this over. So I want you to take a few seconds, and let's think this over. What's he telling Timothy? Are you mulling? i got to trust you because I can't see it. A soldier. Image number one. Image number two is an athlete. The athlete is competing for a crown. He wants to win, or she wants to win the crown, the medal. That's what she's going for. It's what he's going for. And in order to do that, he's got to compete according to the rules of the sport. And in the ancient world, the most dominant rules were these. You have to have won several times before you enter the Olympic Games, and you must be able to commit to saying you have disciplined for at least 10 months to do this. We don't let just anybody get into these races. There's, it's, the prominence of the Olympics was too great to leave it to this fly-by-night people who enter the race who have no business winning. The, the rule is you must have disciplined yourself for this race. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to think about this in your ministry. So let me give you a second to mull. 
What in the world does the athlete have to do with the preacher? Number three, the hardworking farmer. He's going, to, he's going for a share of the crops. He's looking forward to some of the fruits of his labor. But he also knows if that's going to be any good, he's got to work hard to make that crop worthwhile. I've got to work hard. That's image number three, and I want you to mull that over for a second because Paul, after he gives these three images, he backs up and he says to Timothy, reflect on these things, and the Lord is going to use these things through his inspired pen to give him understanding. What do you grasp for your own life from those three images? They're united over a common theme, really. And can I tell you what I'd put up there? I'd put a school teacher up there. I'd put a school teacher up there. And I would say to you, the school teacher, yeah, is looking for a reward, right? Is looking for a paycheck for what they're doing. They're not going to do it for free. But they also want the reward of seeing kids learn. But the school teacher needs to know this. The work today is overwhelming. It is something just overwhelming to people to try to teach young people with all the demands put on you. But, but that's part of the job, and that's what you signed on for, and that's part of your calling. So I'd put the school teacher up there. I'd put the CPA up there. I'd put the engineer up here. I'd put a student up here. Uh, in early service, there was Ben and Hallie Thompson, and I talked. Uh, ben is a is a Tennessee fan. For those of you who are football people, and uh, and so last week when they were playing Alabama, right before the game started, I texted him and I said, "I just broke my leg. I need you to come help me." He texted back, "Sorry, I could have died." if I needed Ben to help me because the Tennessee game was on. But I already knew what he was doing. I was just trying to see where he was, right? And he was, he said, by the way, I'm at Needlin, whatever the name of the stadium is. I had no idea what that meant. But today I found out he was at the game, right? His wife, however, she's a medical student at ASU, and she had fallen behind in these intense studies and said, I've got to stay back. If I'm going to do well at my program, I'm going to have to stay here while you make this trip. Students do that, you know. If you're going to be a good student, there are sacrifices you have to make sometimes, like going to the Tennessee game where they humble Alabama, right? I mean, that's... Every one of these stories is the same. Every one of these images is the same. And the message is this. Let's... Please the God who called us. Let's keep his favor front and center, and let's do what he asked us to do. And in order to do that, we will have to suffer a little bit. We will have to sacrifice. We will have to discipline. Anything worth doing is worth doing right. Right? That's what he's saying in these images. And Timothy, I want you to stay in there. Uh, You've got a job to do, and I want you to do it even if you have to sacrifice to. That's what he's saying. That's what these images mean. But he has to mull it over. So what is his job? Chapter 2, chapter two verse 2. Living and teaching the gospel and training and encouraging other people to do the same. That's the same mission you've got too, by the way. Living and teaching the gospel and training and encouraging other people to do the same. And if you have to sacrifice and suffer to do that, you are willing to. That's what we talked about last time. But in this chapter... It began with where we are going to end. 
How do you do that when you know you're going to suffer for it? And that leads to this thought, verse 1, one of the neatest thoughts in Scripture, but we are, giving, we are given absolutely no concrete about it. And it's this right here. Be strengthened in grace. Do you see that in verse 1? Be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ. I love that. I want to say to you as you start this week, you're going to face opposition and you're going to get tired this week of trying to live the Christian life with all these other distractions on you. And I want to say to you, listen, church, be strengthened through the grace that's in Jesus. I want you to use the strength God is wanting to give you. And you'll say, yeah, but what does that mean? When Timothy reads this, it's an imperative. It's a command. Be strengthened in the grace that's in Jesus. What in the world? Where is it? What do I do to position myself to receive this grace? What is he actually wanting Timothy to do? He doesn't say. I want him to come out with it and be specific because I want to tell you, what can you do to position yourself this week to be strengthened by the grace that comes from outside yourself that comes from your Creator through your Lord and lands on you, and He's got an ample supply of it, and He wants to fill you with this strength, and it's out of that strength that you survive every challenge and every, every temptation that you've got and every suffering moment that you have to face. That's where your strength comes from, but what does that mean for me? And I realize that you have to mull it to get it. You have to mull it to get this. From chapter 1, mull this. You have a church that prays for you. You have people praying for you. You don't see it. You don't hear it. You can't prove it. But can I tell you this? When he starts this letter, he says, Timothy, I want you to have the grace of, I want you to have the, grace of the Lord upon you, verse 1 and verse 2. And I want you to know I remember you in my prayers every single day. And I want you to know that every single one of you is prayed for every single week by your preacher and your elders. And many of the members do the same thing. As you go through a week as a Valley View member, there are people praying your name, asking for God to strengthen you through whatever he wants to give you in order to, to, to equip you to do the task. You're, does, that, does that strengthen anybody? Is anybody blessed by that? Can you, can anybody, I'm serious, and I know this. I know this because I go around and I talk to people, and they say, I want you to know I'm praying for you as my preacher. That helps. I want you to know I'm not just operating on the prayers for myself. I'm operating and living my life out for, with prayers from you. There's strength in that. There's a great strength in that. And then he, he mentions Onesiphorus at the end of chapter 1. Onesiphorus risked a lot to come find me in Rome and meet my needs. And he thinks, he thinks Timothy, knowing that, will be encouraged and strengthened. And I think he's right. I think seeing what other people do, motivated by their faith, people I know, I hear about it and it strengthens me. It's an amazing thing. So I attend a funeral on Monday. I'm just going to use the, the past week. Monday, and, and I'm talking to David Gibson over lunch afterwards. He made me buy him lunch. He is the tightest, cheapest preacher I've ever met in my life. And so, okay, David, I'll take you out to eat lunch today, right? We go eat lunch, and I said, you know, one of the most impressive things about Valley View is how many of these people come out to attend a funeral. Now, 
don't feel guilty if you had to work and you couldn't make it. I get that. That's the pace of life. But I want you to know something. Your presence at a funeral does comfort the family. But it also strengthens others who came, and I'm looking at a church at Valley View on the hill who comes out and supports each other in times of loss in mass numbers. It was incredible. I was blessed. I wasn't comforted. I was blessed and strengthened by the showing up of Valley View people to stuff like that. And not just that. Yesterday I come to a wedding, most of it. And up on this stage right here, it's Chase, Jaden, beautiful wedding. Paul was up here. Paul looked great in that suit. We all said, you should be buried today because you'll never look any better than that. And Kim says, <laughs> I'm cremating him. <laughs> and here's what I know about that kid. We had a son who's his contemporary. We've been... We had asked him to church. His aunt, who went to church with us, longed for him to come to church. Never could get him to come. Never could get his interest up about that. Years. Went to watch him in plays, and he was very good in plays, and he was a great kid, but never got him to. He comes to Valley View, meets Jaden. She's number one. That's number one thing. But she, he starts getting involved in this church, and a couple of months ago, he was immersed right here in this baptistry his aunt was here yesterday beaming she looked beautiful she looked younger than she ever has a lot the greatest two moments of her life was being here seeing him marry a christian but number one was knowing he was baptized two months ago it was an amazing scene and can i tell you something that's valley view for you and if you don't watch a wedding like that and come away strengthened by the grace of christ knowing how god worked in his life to lead him to that moment something's wrong with you not only that not only did Paul perform the wedding, but Mitchell was back there running the whole reception thing. This college ministry ain't just about getting numbers going. It's about being involved in their lives. And I see Valley View people doing things that bless the life and faith of people, and it encourages me. And I want you to look around because this church right now is full of people doing these things, and it's, it's encouragement. It's grace for all of us. I was late for the wedding because we ran to Walnut Ridge. We timed it just right to go to the Andrews house. The Andrews just had their third son, Simon. He's had RSV. It's been a difficult series. And they've had, the other kids started CRA and getting every kind of disease, every illness going around, all that stuff. And so we went over there just to encourage them. We're not going to stay. You know, we're just going to come for five minutes and go to the wedding. In between there was a train and a stopping of traffic because of construction. It was ridiculous, but that's why we were late for the wedding. But we got here, but we were able to go there. And you know what they talked about? All the people of this church who've encouraged them over the last week. F phone calls, prayers, food. You'll never see it put in the bulletin. You'll never see it put in a picture overhead. There's stuff like that going on that you have no idea about. But when you hear about it, when you hear through the grapevine about acts of faith like that that people are doing, 
Sandra Lamberson is an inspiration to all of us, and she's relying on the prayers and the faith of her own family, and she's doing a beautiful job about to go through the, the second move of this thing. But when she was about to start that, I think they went to Florida to visit their son and came back. There were signs along their street. I think it was the Horner kids, but I don't know this for sure. The signs along the road to her house, we love Miss Sandra. Little homemade billboards, call it that. No one knows about it until you do. And when you do, the grace of Christ that was responsible for that bubbles over in you some more. There was a boy born this week. And yeah, it's, it's the perpetuation of life. It's the reproduction and all that stuff and all that's natural. But listen, this was bigger than that. We as a church know that two of our great, our great salt and light people here decided to bring another child into this world. And right now, this is not a really optimistic world, not a great time. A lot of people are saying, I don't want to bring a kid into this world. We need to bring kids into this world. We need to change the world. We need to be salt and light. And they're bringing a child. And we're going to have the opportunity, church, to raise this child to be further salt and further light and change this world. And you get the privilege of being a part of that. And if that doesn't move you by grace, check your pulse. That's something amazing. It's the grace of Christ that's everywhere. And he says, I want you to mull this over. I want you to mull over the gospel. The gospel is a great event, and it's a great truth that we absolutely believe, but it happened in history. But whether it saves you or not, whether it makes any difference in your life or not, depends on whether you mull it over and think about it. What has he done for me? At what cost to himself? At what benefit from me? And what is it? do for me. Let's mull over those people last Sunday who cooked all weekend over those grills to make sure you could eat some of the most amazing salmon in the history of the world. Yes, I love the taste of it. I tried to find out who all did that. I know, I, I know Jason Martin up here, which you don't usually hear Jason's name. He's kind of a quiet guy, but he was over at that grill. Daniel Buck. Jeff Madden, John McKnight, I'm missing some, I'm in trouble. I've sent thank you notes to him because you know why? I've thought about all week long. I loved that food, but I loved that fellowship, going around to tables and seeing people. And you know what I know? Those guys slaved for hours back there to make sure you had something on that plate that was sitting on that table where other people sat that we could have fellowship. And it was good. And I talked about it and we all bragged about it. But somebody worked hard to do that. And you mull over the hours they spent away from their family doing that, and it's just the grace of Christ strengthening me there's ample things that God is doing and providing and showing us in this community that that could strengthen you and give you through Christ's grace all the strength you need to be faithful and optimistic and hopeful but the problem is we're not taking the time to mull it over it takes time to do this and we keep ourselves so busy and we keep our schedule so full there's no time to mull mull a little bit there's great things going on here. Great things happening. And what I miss most is during the Lord's Supper when we pass the trays. You remember back when we used to do that? Remember those days? It took time to pass those trays and it gave you time to mull. 
And even in our service, we don't have time to mull. Now, you do at home, but we just don't. And I've got to tell you this, too, okay? I, people say, well, I think about it all. Yeah, but l- let me tell you, you can mull at home, and you should, about all that Jesus has done. But I think what he called us to in this service of the Lord's Supper is he wants a whole community at the same time to mull the same thing. The body mulling the body. There's something different about that than you have in your private moment at home. We're all mulling together. I miss that a little bit. So if you're over the Lord's Supper, don't hesitate like Kenny did not long ago. He backed up. Don't rush through it. Oh, this prayer isn't going. Don't, don't do that. Back up. Let us mull. Let's mull. We don't have time to mull. There are people who in recent times have chosen to obey the gospel. Alan, who did the reading last week. There are others, and every one of those is a time for us to receive the grace of Christ as strength for ourselves. We just don't mull it over enough. There's plenty to mull, but here's the thing to remember. This event we just celebrated a moment ago is not an event by faith. This is an event that took place in history. There was a cross. There was a Jesus. He died on that cross. He was buried, and that tomb was empty on Sunday. Is that right? Did I understand that right? That's right. That's history. Even people who aren't Christians will tell you that's history. But whether that history becomes your story or not, It's completely up to whether you mull this over. It depends on this right here, this mulling. That happened. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you. Even historians will tell you that happened. But whether it's your story, whether it saves you and changes your life and infuses you with power and infuses you with love and infuses you with self-control, whether it does that or not depends on whether you mull it or not. Your life depends on it. Your Christian faith depends on mulling this over and saying, what does it mean to me? What does it mean in my life? And just this week, as we think about chapter 1, when he says, Jesus died, but he defeated death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. We gathered around Rufus on Monday, but it wasn't sad. Because we were able to mull over the fact that we know what happens on the other side of this. Jesus told us. We know it because we've mulled it. I know what happens on the other side. And because I've mulled over that historic event, it saves me. It changes my life and gives me power. And it will do the same for you if you'll just take the time to mull it. If there's anyone who needs to respond this morning... Maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you mold over the fact God is our creator and God is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. He's offered up his son. That's all historical fact. Whether that does anything for you or not depends on have you thought this through. Maybe you have and you've decided I want to give my life to God through Christ. And this morning you have that chance. Maybe you've done that and as you mold it over some more, there's some areas where you haven't turned it over to him and you need further repentance. You can do that without ever coming forward. But if for some reason... Coming forward to facing this church will bless you in that.
We want to be that blessing as we stand and as we sing together.